I, don't know, I, th I think our mindsets are a lot different. Last year it was it was a nice experience just being here and uh, being at the game, experiencing everything for the first time. But now it's kind of like I mean we're here, we've we've done it already, and now we just have to finish it. Uh, we've definitely reviewed the tape from last year. That game's kind of been on repeat almost for a whole year now, if that makes sense. That's the the game where we lost it all. I mean, we didn't get to make it here last year, so that's the game that's kind of been in our heads. We've watched it. I, I know I've watched it ten times at least, watched that game over and over. But definitely watching these guys uh, mature for another year. I mean, they were great D-line last year, and they're another great D-line this year. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle up front. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned in to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. That's the largest division with the smallest schools, and now the smallest number of schools, two remaining. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com, and my co-host, Keith McMillan, has been stag bowling with us since 1999. Keith, in honor of the stag bowl in our broadcast, could you please introduce yourself with your best Frank Rossi impression? Hi, I'm Keith McMillan. Wow, that's a really good impression. In fact, on this podcast, I'm actually joined by Frank Rossi. Uh, we're going to drop a bonus podcast on you here as a, a Stag Bowl 45 preview, and uh, we'll talk about our expectations for this game, hear from some of the key players, and talk with uh, UW Oshkosh coach Pat Cerrone about how their season ended. But first, to officially welcome in Frank, I know this is now your 10th Stag Bowl. Number 10, welcome. 11? This is 11. Wow. See, I can't even count. That's why I have two hands. I'm, I'm out of fingers after that. Yeah, it's confusing because it's 10 years as of uh, this week, but the 11th Stag Bowl and happy to be here. Uh, it's been a long road, uh, literally and figuratively for many reasons. Uh, eight hour drive from New York City uh, to get here uh, normally or seven and a half, depending on how fast I'm going, but we won't talk about that. But uh, it's always been a pleasure and we got two teams that I've seen play in this game before, but never against each other. And uh, that's kind of exciting for me personally. Well, eight and a half hours or seven and a half hours or whatever is not nearly as long as the Springfield guys traveled to come down here for the Gawardi Trophy ceremony on Wednesday night. Absolutely. Uh, Jordan Wilcox had six classmates or uh, teammates, I guess the best way to say it, uh, show here in uh, Salem. And it's the first time in the eight times that we've had the four finalists come down to Salem that we actually had a contingent, except for when a player uh, was in the game two days later and his uh, teammates were already here. So it was really nice to see that. Um, don't know how it will uh, go in Texas or in Canton later on in that respect, because uh, at least Texas is a lot further away. You can't just do a 10-hour drive from, let's say, Springfield, Mass. At that point, it's a little bit longer. But uh, it, it was good to see. Uh, Jordan did not win, but uh, to be a finalist, obviously, is a huge honor. Brett Casper is our Glarity Trophy winner for 2017. Very well deserving. Yeah, and you can find more coverage of that on the website. Uh, you can you could watch the entire ceremony if you're into that. But we also pulled out the the three minute clip that Oshkosh assembled on what Brett Casper did, and it is really an amazing story. And we won't go into it too much in depth here. But uh, later on, we'll uh, talk with Pat Stroni, like I said, and he will uh, talk about some of those things. Um, you know, Wednesday was media day here at the Stag Bowl. Uh, TJ Josie talks with us in a little bit about uh, the pressure that's on the Mary Harden Baylor offense. Everybody talks about the defense, but uh, you know Mary Harden Baylor's offense, Frank, is the, a, a unit that people are going to have to keep an eye on because somebody, I, we, we presume that Bryce Wilkerson might score some points or somebody might score some points on defense or on special teams, but the offense has to do something. 
Indeed. Uh, in my quick hit, I'm, I guess I'll give away a little bit of what I say here. But at the Spoilers! End, yep, exactly. There are two certainties for me in this game. Uh, the Mount Union offense will score points, the Mount U- and the uh, Mary Harden Baylor defense will clamp down eventually. And those are two things that will balance out in some way, shape, or form this game. The unknown really is this. The offense for Mary Harden Baylor has given up 10 sacks, the offensive line of, uh, you know, that's just a suspect number when you're this deep into the playoffs. Six uh, against St. Thomas, four against Brockport. Uh, when you look at, though, the defense amount union, they've given up a lot of points over the last two weeks, especially in the first half or, you know, just more than the first half when you look back to the Oshkosh game. And it's a question of something's got to give. We'll talk more about this as this develops, but I think you're looking at the right question in this ball game about what happens with the UMHB offense versus the Mount uh, Union defense in this game. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we talked with Cole Parrish, who's the starting center for the Purple Raiders, and he talked about, and I'm not going to try not to give away too much, but they have definitely have taken some motivation, shall we say, from the way last season ended. Absolutely. I think uh, one thing that you're going to point out here is that they have watched the game from last year in the semifinals against Mary Harden-Baylor. The one caveat I'll say, though, is it's a little bit different of a team composition-wise from last year. While they may run some of the similarities uh, in offense and you know defensively they have a lot of components that did come back despite what they did lose, too, uh, there are differences in this Mary Harden-Baylor team. I think anybody that's watched them this season will tell you that. Maybe, you know, to their detriment on the offensive side of the ball, that's the case. But I don't know how much utilizing last year's video will benefit a team like this, except maybe to see some consistent things that they do overall. But, you know, you talk to Coach Karras, who – uh, we'll see the video on Friday, actually, uh, in our pregame show. And he points out, look, the first thing we look at is this year's videos. Then we may go back to something like that. But, it, look, they're looking to find any edge they can get on both sides of this uh, equation here, Mir Harden Baylor and Mount Union. And so there's one instance of it. We'll hear more about that in his uh, discussion with you. Right. So we won't have Vince Karras on this podcast and we won't have Pete Fredenberg, but you will hear from both of them in our pregame coverage on Friday afternoon and evening leading up to Stag Bowl 45. We will hit the air at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, you'll also get the exclusive first announcement of the D3Football.com All-America team. Yes, I'm sorry for sports information directors. You won't find out about it until after 5 o'clock on a Friday. I apologize. That is just the way we have done it this way ever since 1999. I think it's a big part of our, our pregame show, and I appreciate that, uh, the, especially those of you who then do extra work after hours on Friday night in order to uh, get that information out. We definitely appreciate that. But we're looking here, of course, Frank, also the other big storyline is that this is the last one, at least for the foreseeable future. Maybe who knows for how long, if forever, in Salem, Virginia, a, a place that we're the Stag Bowl has been held since 1993. This will be the 25th time. There's been a lot of, I like to use wistfulness. Uh, melancholy is probably a word. Um, I like adjectives, um, but I'm not going to continue to run down a list. It's just been a, a very interesting uh, scene so far here in the time that we've been here. Kerry Harvey Cutter himself, uh, who's a game manager and uh, has had other titles in our time here, but he's really the guy most responsible in the last 25 years to be consistently with this game uh, here in Salem. He used the word melancholy himself, so I'll stick with that one. Uh, it, it's I 
can't think of this game not being here. I really can't. And I know it's not been here at times before the last 25 years, but this has become just such commonplace. And it's not to say I'm not looking forward to how Texas and Shenandoah will take care of it down there and how Canton will take care of it when they get it in a couple of years. And, hey, it's the Hall of Fame area and everything else in Canton, so it's going to be special there, I think. But, boy, it, this is just very – almost surreal right now I even I get my dry cleaning done down here when I show up and even the cleaner was like hey this is last year I guess we get to see you and I started out that way down here and I'm like holy cow this is really happening and I think a lot of the teams that you know the players the coaches etc are so used to this too they it really hasn't hit them until I bet you Friday night when those fireworks go off to you know lead in the champion I think there's going to be a lot of emotion right at that point where everybody's like, holy cow, this is it. You talk about, uh, you know, guys our age, the Stag Bowl has been here for more than half of our lifetime. Guys who are playing on Friday night, the Stag Bowl has never been played anywhere else in the entire life of anybody who's going to take the field with uh, with shoulder pads on Friday night. I think about, you know, I've heard that uh, Chuck Moore will be here, uh, you know, the most outstanding player, I assume, I'm working from memory, he should have been if he wasn't, the most outstanding player of the 2001 Stag Bowl against Bridgewater, 95-yard touchdown run, et cetera, et cetera, multiple-time All-American. Um you know, he's making the trip down. I know that uh, I think we're going to see lots of people, especially with Mountain Union Connections, making a trip down for one last time. And we wrote about it on the site earlier this week that it has become so synonymous, not just purple here in Salem and in Roanoke this time of year, but Mountain Union specifically. Yeah, and I, I, there are some special festivities, I guess, coming up at halftime that we'll be uh, recording also uh, from what I understand uh, we've been asked to sort of uh, have our camera trained on it while ESPN's in their studio show at that point in time. So uh, from what I know, uh, they are bringing in a lot of people to sort of celebrate the end of this road. Like you said, we don't know if this is the the end or if this is just a pause. In a, and I think the NCAA is going to know that as much as anybody in three-ish, four-ish years. So uh, we have to assume for now this is it and treat it as – you know, a celebration slash a disappointment at the same time. So I, I would say keep tuning in all week long here. This is going to be special in a lot of different ways. When we do our final podcast from Mac and Bob's on Friday night, uh, which will probably hit on Saturday morning if I uh, know you correctly here, Mr. Coleman, uh, you're going to hear a lot more about how this all plays out. We really don't know sitting here on a Wednesday night is when we're uh, you know, recording this, just how this will play out. I think technically Thursday morning, but that's okay. I think people will get the, <laughs> the podcast on, on Thursday morning as well. One other curious thing about this, uh, I was approached by a, a member of the championships committee asking me what they thought, what, what my opinion was about them having moved it. And first off, I'm thinking, China, come on out and get you whooping. Well, A, you could have asked me nine months ago when you actually did it. Uh, you could have asked me before you did it. But um, I felt like I had made my opinion fairly clear on this. I'm not a I'm not a fan of it leaving. I am, however, going to uh, remain uh, open with an minded. open mind about it. Yeah, exactly. Because it could be awesome in Texas. It could be really awesome in Canton, Ohio. When you think about you know the the synergies between this game and you know the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, you know obviously the also, Canton has done a great job upgrading that stadium, and it's going to be even better by the time that we get there. In I'm looking at my clock because that's not going to help me. Uh, 20, 2020 and 2021. Um, 
you know, it's it, it's coming up any minute now. <laughs> um, you know, that could be and it could be a fantastic experience for the student athlete, and that's super important. Um, but Salem has done so much. They took this game when nobody else really wanted it. It was languishing in Bradenton, Florida. It had been in Phoenix City, City, Alabama. It had been up in Ohio for some time. But, you know, they took it and they made it their own. And they really raised the bar for Division Three championships across the board. Not just the Stag Bowl, not just the men's basketball Final Four that they've had, not just the baseball championship that they had for several years. But they really wrote the book on how to host a Division Three championship and literally wrote the book because the NCI codified a lot of the things that Salem has done into the way they want other championships to be conducted. Look, Pat, I, you touched on it, the languishing uh, word that you used. The reasons why it moved in the first place from Phoenix City and uh, Bradenton, et cetera, is honestly because the crowds were starting to go lower and lower. The attendance figures weren't keeping up it became tougher and tougher to transport teams and their fans down to these cities and so salem became yeah maybe on the periphery of the d3 map but at least it was in the d3 map and you could justify to a certain degree with certain teams in here getting bigger crowds in yes the attendances over the last 15 years have dropped off slightly but this was no reason to take the game away from here. I, unless it's Mary Harden-Baylor or Harden-Simmons or a team of uh, Texas caliber in this game in the next two years, I don't think the crowd is going to be you know, even near what you'll see on Friday night here in Salem. And so it becomes a question of what are you trying to accomplish here if you're the NCAA? Are you trying for big crowd sizes? Are you trying for the student-athlete experience? Are you trying for a combination of both? We're hearing great things about what Texas is trying to do, whether or not uh, it actually happens. We'll see. But if it's crowd size, I just don't see it. I don't see where it's going to come from unless, like I said, Belton uh, is in there or Harden-Simmons is in there or something along those lines. We'll see how it transpires. But what was your answer to the uh, committee person to ask? I, I, I felt like I was pretty much repeating everything that, I, that we had written on the website in April. I, I told them, uh, you know, about keeping an open mind about it, but I didn't feel like it was a. I didn't feel like it was the right time to just go ahead and, and make a change. I felt that Salem had contributed, uh, contributed, contributed. Yep, pronunciation one hundred and one on contributed. Make a note of that, producer guy. <laughs> um, had contributed so much to Division Three that it did not make sense. And of course. You know, the fact that they uh, lost both football and men's basketball at the same time, which is not something that either committee, you know, really gets a chance to commiserate with the other about. You know, they're not comparing notes about that sort of thing. But it just made it, it made things really strange. We'll touch a lot more on this uh, on the pregame show on Friday. Uh, it's going to be kind of a centerpiece issue for us. So instead of belaboring uh, this podcast with it, I think folks get a feel for where it's going this week and like we said, it's kind of a teaser of sorts, but keep tuning in because I think there's going to be a lot of stuff coming from this topic that it's the last one. And this is a good time to remind you that this special edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, not technically sponsored by anybody, but we really want to promote that Friday night at 11.30 or so p.m. Eastern time. We will be at Mac and Bob's uh, right on Main Street in downtown Salem, Virginia. 
come on out and join us if you're listening from uh, one of the two participating teams. We had a good crowd out there last year. The most outstanding player of the championship, Blake Jackson, came to join us and was uh, interviewed live on the podcast. So we expect that. I will be casting my most outstanding player ballot based on who I expect will show up. And I don't know if we'll send an escort uh, over there, but uh, to make sure that that person gets to the champion to the uh, to the podcast from the championship to the podcast, but uh, we definitely hope that will happen. Uh, in a you know, if you again, if you are coming down, enjoy Mac and Bob's before the game too, but enjoy Mac and Bob's after the game with us, and we can uh, commiserate about the end of the Division Three football season together. And Frank is going to uh, have something to say here about the sponsorship, chicken chili, the chicken chili over there. Okay, I just usually just have pizza. But the chicken chili, if you want something more substantial than just a pizza, that's the way to go there. I suppose, especially if you've been outside watching a football game for a few hours. TJ Josie talks with us about a couple of things over the course of this. And you heard earlier, uh, as the podcast opened, you heard him talk about the experience coming back from last year and staying warm. Um, I, I thought it, I found it interesting that that was one of the things they mentioned. I thought that we had uh, kind of exercise those demons it was really really cold and you as the sideline guy know better than I how dang cold it was last year but uh, I I found it interesting that 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 had been that that was still a topic of discussion I guess I thought that they had proved last year they could win in the cold I think I any team that's coming from the state of Texas where it's not normal to have that kind of weather when I was down there last weekend let me uh, say this they had just gotten off of snow the day before I arrived in Austin, which was uh, Thursday night, essentially. I get there Friday. They're still experiencing some wind and cold weather and whatnot. And when I got to Belton, it was sweaters all around, even though it got up to around 68 degrees uh, that day during the game. So they are not used to it down there, no doubt about it. And so when they come back up here and the prospect is for a 42-degree high and probably a kickoff, something like 35 degrees again, if we're lucky, uh, they have to really look at it and say, what are we going to do? Uh, can we do this twice? Uh, what did we do last year that worked? And what do we do that didn't work in that respect? So I, I think it really is a topic they have to look at. I think, Frank, we'll talk more about this as we lead up to the game on our uh, pregame show on Friday night. Uh, we talked with Josie also about the the kind of progression that the Mary Harden Baylor offense has been through this year. Of course, you know, if if you weren't paying attention the first couple of weeks of the season, you might not even know Josie was the starting quarterback. He of course was uh, one of their top wide receivers last year with uh, Blake Jackson under center and this year with uh, Jackson having graduated and not having a ton of experience behind him, they went to Josie starting off the season. So before uh, Frank and I talk about it, we'll hear what TJ Josie had to say about it, specifically about working with freshman quarterback Carl Robinson III. Uh, I, just, I tell him just relax. Uh, I mean, it's a big game, but it's still, it's, he's just out there playing football. It's nothing he's never done before. So just big thing would just be relaxed. I mean, we still we just have to go out there and, and trust trust in our play calling, and uh, we know that they're going to put us in the right situation, and just believe that uh, that one play is going to happen, and we just have to keep playing just like that. And because you have guys and yourself included who can make it happen with one play. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we uh, the weapons we have on offense is are crazy. Like a guy like Bryce is, he can he can bust a play open at any moment, and then me throwing it over top and uh, Johnell on the outside, hand the ball off to Markeith, and even uh, Carl with his legs. Uh, we just, we just have to believe in the play calling and just keep playing. That's obviously one of the key places, Frank, and we talked about it a couple of minutes ago. But uh, I think you know the big difference here is that last year, senior quarterback who had been 
a part of the rotation, the quarterback rotation for a couple of seasons, had had many starts deep in the postseason. This is a guy, Carl Robinson III, who not only is a freshman this year, but only took over the starting quarterback job just a, a few relatively a few weeks ago. Yeah, for me, when I'm watching him right now, it feels like Carl's almost trying to not make mistakes more than he is trying to, let's say, hit the big play. And in some ways, I think enough people have said out there that that's exactly what his job is, that, look, your defense is going to carry you most of the way. Don't make mistakes. Eventually, you're going to score a touchdown or two, or they'll give you a short field to work with, and it'll be easy. And that's what happened in Brockport or against Brockport on uh, Saturday. I, I think having some leadership there to say to him from time to time, stay focused, stay calm, do what you're supposed to do here, you know, let your legs do some of the work, we'll be okay, is a good thing. But when you get to the Stag Bowl against the Mount Union, this is where I get a little concerned about that philosophy. This is where I think Carl has to sort of amp it up a little bit and his offensive coaches have to open up a little bit more than normal. Otherwise, you play bland offense, you're not going to get away with it in this game. And that's where, you know, I hear that interview a little bit, and I'm like, it's worked this far. Obviously, it's worked. But when the last two games you had quarterbacks out throw or out yardage you, if you're Carl in this case, I would say you sort of scratch your head and say, what's going on here? I get he's a freshman, but you want to win a national championship right now. And I think he has to be, let's say, at least near the yardage total of D'Angelo Fulford on the other side of the uh, fence on this. It's interesting because as we're talking about this, I am thinking that I'm hearkening back to the year that uh, Greg McKaylee came off the bench uh, as quarterback for the Purple Raiders in the Stag Bowl, and nobody had seen him do anything but hand the ball off or run it himself. They'd never seen him throw the ball. And obviously that's not quite the same with Robinson. Obviously he has been starting quarterback for several weeks. He's had a significant amount of the playbook available to him. But also on the Mountain Union side, they probably have no real idea of what Robinson's actually capable of. True. I I mean, look, I, I look back at the St. Thomas game a little bit, and he throws for 159 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions in that game, and they win. And so what are you going to learn from that tape exactly about what he does well? Not much is probably the answer, besides maybe a little bit of ball control during that game. Uh, the, I think he's a 6A player from Texas. He's got a lot of talent. I think there are some nerves working in here and some getting used to an offensive playbook. He's a little out of sync in because he didn't start the season as a starting quarterback. He didn't even start the season on the varsity. Correct. And so – there's a buildup here and, you know, a learning curve and everything else you want to use here. That might sound cliche, but it's true. And so uh, when we we abhor cliches like the plague on this podcast, but uh, those those are not cliches. That's perfectly reasonable words. Just just from just so you know. Thanks for that <laughs> notification. Yeah, <you> <laughs> Where's Keith when I need him? Um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I just think that this is a situation where he will only get better, but will that getting better be on Friday night or not? Because the numbers he put up against UST are not going to really work here. Yeah. The numbers he put up against Brockport, better, but still it's not going to work to win this national championship. And I don't know where to go from here beyond saying 
I think having you know a short week to work here to get better, it won't be enough time to do it. It's just going to be a question of whether Carl steps up here and his supporting cast is able to get him the time to throw the ball or not. Well, and I think when you're facing the Mountain Union defense, you're going to face a unit that is somewhere in between the Brockport unit and the St. Thomas unit. I, I think that St. Thomas and also having faced Linfield uh, earlier in the playoffs, those are the uh, maybe not the two, but two of the most elite defensive units in Division Three right now. And, and Mountain Union is on the same page somewhere, maybe a little bit further down the page. And Brockport's either at the bottom of the page or the top of the next page. But you're, you know, he's going to see something that's similar to what he's seen before, at least in terms of quality of defense. I'm not talking about style. The one thing that you keep pointing out, I, I hear you on this podcast and elsewhere say, and I think it's a very important point here is this. Mary Harden Baylor's philosophy is take a quick lead, milk it for the rest of the game to the best of your ability, yeah. get that clock to run out. And the way that Mount Union's defense has been playing the last two weeks, it's not been exactly crisp in the first half. They gave up 24 points in the first half to Frostburg State. Now, you could say, yeah, they, but they also scored almost double that in that first half. But still, in the first half, you don't want to give up that many points. There's no doubt. Okay, in the second half, maybe you start tailing off or trying to get the game to end, put in your second stringers, et cetera. I get it. Not in the first half. Yeah. And so it's a suspect number. It's ratified further by against Oshkosh in a little bit more than a first half. They gave up 35 points. Uh, 28 of them on the defense, but yeah. But you get the point overall. When you look at the score, that's just too many. And so I think Mary Hardenbaylor has a chance to, if their offensive line can hold up, get some points on the board and do what they're comfortable doing. That's the whole thing. It's a comfort zone question in this game. Can you rely on a Mount Union to come back two weeks in a row from a deficit of, let's say, two to four possessions? I don't think so. But right now, we're just looking at how will this game set up. I think advantageously right now goes to Mary Harden Baylor, but things can change. It's certainly a different style and a different quality of defense that Mountain Union will be facing this week, and you can hear Vince Karras talk about more about that on Friday night. Uh, the third aspect, we're not going to talk too much about the Mary Harden-Baylor defense because we have done a ton of that over the course of the past several weeks. But I did want to talk about special teams. And, and we had an opportunity to chat with Bryce Wilkerson, who is going to be a very high-ranking member of our uh, All-America team, uh, about special teams and about his punt return philosophy, for lack of a better term. And here's what he had to say about that. Really, man, just uh, getting a great cradle to catch the ball, first off, getting a great cradle. Uh, and then getting the, uh, the first guy missed. You know, we let a guy go free every time. So getting him missed, using great speed, get the edge, uh, use your blocks, and uh, really just focus on great speed and, and great moves and, and do what you do. I mean, with, with the wind, you, you know, you never know the ball's going to hang or is it going to travel. You know, just really have to beat the ball to the spot and uh, just really work your cradle and, and get a good hit on the ball. Yes, the new buzzword of this podcast has to be working your cradle. <laughs> I didn't know we were right. Actually, I when you said that, but apparently we are. Um, yeah, um, it's, uh, I guess when you think of how a punter catches a ball, it really is a cradle uh, that they're doing with their arms. It's not the technical, you know, I'm trying to target the uh, ball for a catch like a receiver. And I think the guys that make the mistake when they're playing on special teams uh, are the ones that try to, you know, make the target 
that's not the way you do it. He's, I'm not going to deny what he has to say about this. Wilkerson has done a great job this season. The one thing I will say is this. If wind becomes any kind of factor on Friday night, like it did on Saturday against Brockport, he did drop one. He muffed one that went into the end zone that Brockport probably should have actually recovered in the end zone for a touchdown, but did not. Uh, you have to be very careful. It was a kickoff, actually, I believe, uh, in that situation. It was a punter kick. It was a punt, actually. I said Brockport only kicked yeah. off once. Yeah, exactly. And so either way, it went back as a touchback uh, because it was a muff in the field play that went into the end zone. But the point being this, even a guy like him can't always judge where the ball is going. And special teams' mistakes are one of those things that could decide a game like this. But I think it's better he got that out of his way on Saturday than to have it happen to him on Friday. But there can be some wind here in the Salem and Roanoke areas. We know this. There was last night for sure. And uh, we'll see where, what that weather forecast ends up looking like. And it really blows in the same direction. It blows end zone to end zone here. Um, I, I also bring this up because you know, Mount Union last week gave up a couple of big returns. Uh, one of them was for a touchdown. Uh, one of them was uh, about 40 yards that set up. Uh, an Oshkosh field goal that put them back up by eight, almost stemmed the Mount Union comeback. Um, you know, and Wilkerson has returned kicks in the playoffs for touchdowns. He's returned a, a punt against Linfield, which is you know one of the best teams in the country. Returned the punt against St. Thomas, one of the best teams in the country as well. This is a, a definitely a weapon for Mary Harden Baylor on Friday night. Absolutely. I, I, the third phase of the game is, the, it, for some coaches, the most important one. Because, again, when you get to this level, you're going to have balanced offenses and defenses to a certain degree, or at least across the uh, ball from each other. And so what's the differential? Mistakes or mistake-free football or the bonus plays on special teams. And that can be a huge determinant. We haven't seen that happen in the 11 years that I've been doing this. I can't name a special teams play that, let's say, completely decided a game. I'm punting, uh, blocking punts, actually. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor lost on a blocked punt. Justin Stickley, if I remember correctly, blocked a punt for Mountain Union. But I can't remember returns, which I think is what you're getting at. Yeah, and plus, it's uh, that was, I think, what, 2004 uh, back 2004, then? 2004, and then Stickley was 06 or 05. Or yeah, so, I mean, inside the, my time down here, I just can't think of anything that stuck out. It's almost due because you play enough football games, eventually special teams is what will decide or are what will decide uh, the game. So maybe, in fact, Wilkerson will play a bigger role than we think even sitting here right here tonight. Let's flip over to the Mountain Union side for a second. They have been anticipating this game for just about 53 weeks, and we had an opportunity to talk with Cole Parrish, the senior starting center for the Purple Raiders, and he talked about exactly how he has been looking forward to this game. Oh, definitely. Uh, we've definitely reviewed the tape from last year. That game's kind of been on repeat almost for a whole year now, if that makes sense. That's the the game where we lost it all. I mean, we didn't get to make it here last year, so that's the game that's kind of been in our heads. We've watched it. I, I know I've watched it 10 times at least, watched that game over and over, but definitely watching these guys uh, mature for another year. I mean, they were great D-line last year, and they're another great D-line this year. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle up front. Later on also, he talked about it being not just watching for 
scheme and watching for tendencies of players, but really, again, how much of it is a motivative, motivational factor? Well, again, in an interview you did with Coach Karras, uh, that will... Spoilers! Yeah, exactly. Uh, he brings up this idea that you will learn more from your losses than you will from your wins at the end of the day. And I have a funny feeling they are watching that video as much to see what they did wrong and what, how to rectify it as much as they are looking to see what Mary Harden Baylor did right in that game in the uh, semifinals last year. So, I... I like I said, there's limited value in what you're going to see in Mary Harden Baylor from last year's video. I think, though, Mount Union, knowing that they're running kind of the same system, uh, you know, pretty much year after year, with maybe a tweak here and there, we'll see what they did wrong or what they left on the table along the way, and that's going to be the value there. I think, look, there's no doubt in my mind that Oshkosh has watched that video or will watch the video of the game against Mount Union. 20, 30 times, and it's going to be a nightmare for them to watch it, but they're going to try to learn what they did or didn't do in that second half especially so that if they ever face them or anybody else of that caliber again, they don't leave it on the table like they may have that day or did. I'm trying to be as nice as I can, but it's one of those things that will go down in history. But that's the point. I'm going to say also uh, Pat Cerrone is going to contradict you coming up in a little bit. But uh, speaking of spoilers – um, the other thing that, uh, I talked with Cole Parrish about is, you know, he's a senior, but he's got a guy behind him, uh, you know, uh, in D'Angelo Fulford, who's a sophomore has not started in the stag bowl, has not started a playoff game until this season. Uh, he started the first several games of last season, got hurt for those of you who don't remember, and then has started every game, but one this season. Um, so I asked him, you know, what kind of experience he might have to pass along to the younger guys on his offense. I've just kind of told him that. It's just a, it's just another week. Uh, it's no different. Uh, you got to kind of limit the distractions. Uh, I love like this whole stuff is great experience, but it's really uh, kind of one of those things that kind of pulls you away from the game, pulls you either which way. Uh, I've really tried to keep my team and my guys kind of focused on this is a game, just another week, just another team. We got to go out and do the exact same thing we've been doing for 14 weeks. Frank, this is one of those rare Mountain Union teams where not everybody has stag bowl experience. It's true, and uh, but there are enough guys on this team that do that can really lead by example in that respect. Uh, it is weird to say that they weren't here last year, sure, and that Mary Harden-Baylor is actually the more experienced team in that respect, probably. If I had to go look at the rosters, I would almost guarantee that that's the fact. But you also have how many years before last year where they were here. A few. And that's coaching staff experience in the game, which is just as important in some ways as having the players there as well. So I, I don't, I would never buy a claim from a Mount Union player that they are novices in this aspect of, uh, you know, coming to the national championship, et cetera. Just don't buy it. Uh, I, I think that's, if they were to say that to you, I think that's them trying to catch you off guard uh, ultimately in the game if you're you know Mary Harden Baylor listening to it that's not the case okay Mount Union Mary Harden Baylor both experienced teams here and have enough components that were here that they're going to be able to be ready on the fly for Friday night that's what makes this a very intriguing matchup I think because look not since Mount Union Whitewater over and over and over again could we say that and it's been a little bit since we've had that uh, situation. Here we are again with two, two teams that are experienced in this venue. Let it go. 
we'll come back in a few minutes and we'll have uh, we'll do the every thought of yours. Where I have a uh, I have an idea in mind for how we can do that in a uh, uh, kind of a clever and entertaining, hopefully entertaining, hopefully clever, but in a, in a way that might be of some interest to our listenership. So stick around for that. But uh, we also did have an opportunity to talk with Pat Cerrone, like I mentioned. He's the head coach of UW Oshkosh. He was here this week because. His player, Brett Casper, ended up winning the Gallardi Trophy, the uh, best all-around uh, Division Three student-athlete in the sport of football. So um, we talked to him and uh, jump right in with whether he did or did not watch that game from last week. After a game like that, do you go back and watch the video? Do you have let it sit seen, for a while? have not seen the video at all, so I know what happened. We screwed it up, so, <laughs> you know, as a coaching staff, I think we've talked, we've debriefed. Uh, but uh, we, we know we made mistakes, so we let one go. Um, I did not know they were 120 and one on the road. I found that out later. Uh, but well, uh, they haven't played a lot of playoff games on the road. Though. No, and uh, you know, just when you have that opportunity to, you know, to get it done, and you don't do it, I feel bad enough. So let's focus on those two teams. They're really good. I'm just proud that we lost to them both by three. <laughs> so. You know, that's our accomplishment. We're the number three team in the nation. That's how we look at it. You, you guys played Mary Harden Baylor here last year. Obviously, you played Mount Union just a, a week ago. Uh, what do you think about those two teams that going against each other? You know, I think it's going to be an awesome game. I don't know. I, I have not seen Mary Harden Baylor play this year. I have not. So I, I, get, I don't know what's going on there. As far as I know, they got like two quarterbacks playing. You know, I've heard the stories. But defensively, they're just so outstanding, Mary Harden Baylor. And Mount has some chinks in the armor on defense, so it's just going to be a great game because I don't think Mount's offense is pretty impressive. I don't get impressed much, but that was that was pretty. That quarterback's pretty good. What were you seeing that was uh, giving you guys room to go over the top and go deep on them? Uh, you know, I I'm a defensive guy, so you know to talk to Luke Vinay, that would be your best bet. I don't know. I knew our uh, offense. We have we had a pretty good offense. We had a good enough offense to win a national title here this year. Uh, defensively, we just didn't, and uh, you need both. You need both. So I can't answer that for you. 2012, you guys make the semifinals, and then kind of slides back uh, for a couple years. Then, you know, consecutive playoff runs to the semifinals, a, a playoff run before that. Is this program to the spot now where you're not going to have a rebuilding year and you're going to be just reloading? You think? Well, a little shocked about defensively how we came back this year and put a group out there that could compete at a very high level. Um, now we're graduating all the offensive guys, so I guess you got to give us uh, eight months, and then we'll tell you we'll find out where we're at. But you know, we got a lot of good players on campus. We're we're excited about the future of the program, but it's pretty difficult to win these games. You know, I, I don't know how these guys do it every year, same teams. But uh, we'd like to be a part of that club, but. Unfortunately, it don't work that way. We have to prove ourselves, and we got a lot of work to do. I'm going to preface this by saying this is not me questioning a play call. What I want to know is how much consideration did you give, especially after the timeout? Did you at all think about coming out and throwing a ball to the end zone instead of taking the field goal shot? Absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I also had another kicker standing next to me, so, you know, I, I had a full timeout to decide whether I'm going to put the senior kicker in whether I'm going to let the kid kick it again or whether I'm going to put the offense on the field and throw a bomb into the end zone. Um, the choice was to tie the game. I thought with the, with the wind at our back, we planned it that way. 
and he just missed one. Would you have thought he'd kick the same kick twice in a row? <laughs> I was kind of banking on something different. So, no, that was two years in a row now we've been put in that situation. How about this? How about not turn the ball over? How about not give up 21 points in a three-minute period? How, you know, let's not go to the last second of the damn game and try to make a decision. Let's, let's just do what we always do and win games, you know, the way we should, clean. And we didn't do that. So, team, team effort loss, coaches, basically. Bittersweet. I mean, you still get to come here, right? You've got uh, one of the top players in Division Three, who, at the time of this recording, we don't know, but I'm assuming he's going to take some hardware home. So, does it? Is used to get? At least you guys get a chance to come out here. Uh, that's not how you really feel about it. Uh, I've been here before in 2012 with Nate Wera, so this is my third trip here, and uh, you know, the, hopefully tonight we bring that hardware home for him because he's just a great person, and I'm happy for him as a. He won. He went 40 and six. As a starting quarterback, he he lost six times. Three. And you guys play in a pretty good conference, as I recall. Yeah, and the, the six losses, five of them were to the number one or two team in the nation. So the other one was an NAIA team. So that's his accomplishment. That's what he meant to our program. And I'm just happy for him as a person because the kid you met here tonight is the same kid I recruited five years ago. That's what's cool about it. All those things that uh, Cerrone said right there are basically the same things that Casper said right after he accepted the trophy and uh, was speaking at the ceremony on Wednesday night. Look, I, I think I said it earlier, I'll say it again here. Uh, eventually next year, if you're in the same position uh, in your UW Oshkosh, you've got to watch this video probably. You know, the way that Parrish says that, Mount Union watched the Mary Harden Baylor video from a year ago. It hurts to watch it. It, it, it sort of is worse in this case, I guess, because of what happened. But at the same time, how, do, how else do you learn about yourself and improve on your mistakes but by watching it? You can't just sit there and assume you know what happened because, yeah, some bad things happen. But every play is a plus and a minus, basically. And you got to take that down and see it for yourself. As for, you know, what happens at the end of a game like that, hey, do you kick or do you go for the touchdown type question? I, a lot of people out there would say because the momentum was so much against you, you got to get out of there without going to overtime. Just either get your win or loss in regulation. This is a little different. It wasn't just like a two-point conversion versus a, an extra point type of situation. So I don't begrudge him uh, the decision uh, that he made ultimately to go for the field goal. But you could argue both ways indeed. Long story short, Pat, they – know what happened it's a disappointment for them for sure and at the same time there if you can turn this into growth at the end of the day you're going to become a better team for it i hear the music you ready with your thoughts Every i think i am thought of yours is a friend of mine. all right here's how i want to do this i'm going to throw out some hypotheticals and uh, i want to hear your answer and i may be making these up as we go along more sacks, the Mary Harden-Baylor defensive line or the Mountain Union defensive line? Mary Harden-Baylor. Just the way that this sets up with that front four and everything else uh, for Mary Harden-Baylor, I think that's where it's at. Yeah, the offensive line for Mary Harden-Baylor has struggled, but I think that there's a better balance between their offensive line and the defensive line to Mount Union than on the uh, vice versa on that. So I would say more sacks will belong to Mary Harden-Baylor's defensive line. See, I would say the same thing, but I really thought that how you were talking about the Mary Harden-Baylor offensive line and having allowed 10 sacks over the past two weeks that you might have gone the other direction. 
again, though, you got to balance it against a defense from Mount Union that's given up what about, uh, well, the team has given up 59 points. Uh, maybe one or two of those touchdowns was special teams or defense, but still, that's a lot of points in the playoffs in first halves or just after first halves. More quarterbacks taking snaps, Mount Union or Mary Hard Baylor, or more players taking snaps. Huh. <laughs> not, not counting special teams. Uh, Mary Harden Baylor, because of the uh, Wildcat uh, possibilities, I think that they present to you. Yeah, they haven't run much of it, as far as I can tell. But I think having Josie out there on the field all the time is an untapped weapon for them. Obviously, you know, Mountain Union does this on a fairly regular basis. Obviously, Fulford's gotten a ton of snaps in the games that he's played in. But uh, you know, Robert Powell is a guy who's got a lot of snaps for them over the course of the regular season and could conceivably continue to be used in Wildcat situations, so I think I'm going to go with Mountain Union on that one. Okay. It could be a tie, actually. Um, let's see. More shots on the sideline of you. <laughs> or uh, I can't come up with somebody. Uh, Larry Karras, and Larry Karras properly identified. I'm Well... Intentional or unintentional on me because well, I hope there's no intentional shots of you. You're not wearing the you're not wearing the snowflake one this year, right? No, I'm not. I, I do have something planned, uh, but we'll talk about it in the pregame show. I think Larry Karras wins this one at, at least in the intentional column because uh, they'll be talking about his Hall of Fame induction, which is well deserved, and congratulations to him and his family on that. But also just his role still with Mount Union and uh, you know as a like director, etc. Is and uh, the whole Salem question too. I'm sure they they will have asked him that question uh, at some point. ESPN. And I'm pretty sure that uh, ESPN knows it has a makeup call it needs to do and actually identify the right person as Larry Karras this week. So that's something we're going to continue to keep an eye on. Uh, of course, we expect and hope that you guys will watch the game on ESPNU. Hit the mute button. On your DVR, pause if necessary, sync up with our audio broadcast. Keith and I and Frank will be on the call. Uh, we'll be starting, of course, at 5 o'clock, which is two hours and a minute before ESPN will get to join us. We'll also have a halftime show that actually talks about Division Three football, so that'll be good. Um, we really think that we provide a pretty good product for the Division Three football fan, and we hope that uh, you take opportunity to do that. We are not allowed to provide video of this game because of rights restrictions, but uh, we've done audio every year since 1999 when we had to, you know, have one of those old mixers with the, with the dial inside, not the dial. It was actually touch uh, push button or whatever, but you had to call a radio station and get on WDCV 89.1 FM in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That's how we used to broadcast the stag ball. Now we just, uh, uh, put uh, plug in the Ethernet and go out to YouTube. So uh, we hope you'll watch it with us. And Frank will be doing his best to stay warm. And I got some stories lined up, too, that I don't think ESPN will have uh, that I'll be telling throughout the night as well. So uh, Gauntlet thrown down, ESPN sideline reporter. You're not Quint Kesnick now. Holly Rowe. Holly Rowe, once upon a time, did uh, did Stag Bowl sidelines. God bless her. And she uh, did, uh, I believe, the some of the induction questionnaires uh, for uh, Larry Karras. So she's still very involved. And knows her D3 stuff, so uh, good to see her uh, still kicking out there on the uh, ESPN land. And, of course, uh, join us at Mac and Bob's, or if you're not coming down to Salem, why are you not coming down to Salem? This is your last chance. Uh, you know, still, many of us live within an eight-hours drive of Salem. Blow off work on Friday. I can say this. Blow off work on Friday. You don't need to go to work on Friday. It's December, for goodness sake. Can I say one thing, though? Go for it. 
in the 10 years I've been here, this area has grown immensely. There are Starbucks all over the place. I mean, that alone should tell you how much it's grown in 10 years, which I'm thankful for, by the way, as I get older. But uh, the point being this, don't just come for the sporting events because this area is a thriving area and a nice getaway in general. And I plan on coming back here when we have that pause, if it's that. I, well, I do. I, I think it's an area worth it. Maybe I'm driving down south. It's a little like further for me. So, you no, know, I understand. But it's it's probably worth a stop if I'm like traveling south. I, I'll get a hotel in Roanoke, of all places, in or Salem. It's a great area, a nice family area, nonetheless. And I think that's what we learned here over the last X number of years. Insert your number here. So, don't make it just about sports because you're not going to be able to for a few years at least. Make it about the fact that this is a great area. We look forward to seeing you down here. If you do make the trip, uh, let us know. Let us know on Twitter if you're coming down. That'd be great. Uh, you can uh, tag me at, at D3Football. You can tag Keith at, at D3Keith. And you are uh, Rossi F. Nope, Frank, Frank Rossi. Rossi. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's like we almost had this conversation about an hour ago, and I've already forgotten what your, <laughs> what your Twitter handle is. Uh, and we hope to see you there. Uh, you know, the pregame show that we'll be doing will be inside the stadium. Uh, but generally, Keith and I at least get out to wander the parking lot at some point over the course of the afternoon, the evening. So if you see us, you know, flag us down, maybe with a literal flag, maybe just say hi. Uh, we would love to chat about Division Three football for a couple minutes. Plus, if you have, if you have good barbecue, offer that up. Yeah, barbecue, uh, brownies, uh, bratwurst, beer, things that begin with B. Foods that begin with B for 800, Alex. And this was Around the Nation podcast, number 189 for December 14th, 2017. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for our pregame coverage, our quick hits and everything else from Salem and Stag Bowl 45. If you like this podcast, hey, that's awesome. Please consider rating it, though, on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts because that will help other football fans find it. Executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests on this week's edition of the podcast, TJ Josie, Bryce Wilkerson, Cole Parrish, Pat Cerrone, and uh, sports information directors John Walleen, Lenny Reich, and Ken and Tim for their help and uh, assistance in this edition of the show. Thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and uh, my usual co-host, Keith McMillan. And Frank, thanks for filling in. Filling in ably for Frank, for Frank McMillan. Now I've combined you into one person, and it's like uh, that's some bizarre uh, genetic splice I don't want to know about. If you took the best of both of us, it would be an awesome thing. However, I don't think that's possible. It would have a lot of argyle, that's for sure. Like I said, you can reach us on Twitter at the uh, previous uh, handles. Also use the D3FB hashtag. Also, we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering with the legitimate email address to post at d3boards.com, and you can follow us on Facebook as well. We have all the content that we've talked about. Quick Hits is our predictions. We'll have those on Thursday night headed into the game, which will take place on Friday night. We'll have lots of in-game coverage, pre-game coverage, and then post-game coverage, both, uh, both broadcast and text. So keep an eye out. I'd love to tell you what we're writing about after the game, but we have to have a game first. And, of course, we'll have a final top 25 poll, final top 25 poll. All you out there who are voters, get your final top 25 ballot in. We can, we can slot in one and two for you if necessary. But we want to have that hopefully by Saturday. If you see a top 25 poll on Saturday, you'll know that the voters did their job. And that was the Around the Nation podcast. Also, this was the Around the Nation podcast. I think this was the Around the Nation podcast. Don't quote me on this, though.